I'm 52 years old. What that means, I think, is that if we go by mortality rates, I mean, most, most men in this country about 80, in their mid-80s, so, so I, have most, I have more life behind me, right, than ahead of me, right? That means I have less life to live. So it's really got me thinking, really. It got me thinking, like, how do I want to live the rest of my life, right? And uh, I was reading a book <clears throat> by um, uh, Don, uh, Tom Mercer. He wrote um, 8 to 15, uh, the world is closer than you think. It's kind of an interesting book, right? <clears throat> the premise of the whole book is that God has divinely appointed at least 8 to 15 people in our lives that we know, non-Christians, who that we're supposed to minister to, that God has like, literally like, put them out there. And then he's not saying, hey, everybody go to Timbuktu and, and Kenya. We can do that. But he's, he, the book is basically saying that every one of us has people in our lives that God has already divinely appointed to, and we're supposed to do something about that. <clears throat> and one of the quotes that he has in that book that I just was very inspired by was that he said there are things, there are only a few things on earth that we can do on earth that we're not going to be able to do in heaven. Now, there may be more, but he had a kind of a limited list. He said, number one, uh, we can sin like crazy on earth, and you won't be able to do that in heaven, even if you want to. You just won't have a sinful nature, so you can do that. You can, do, you can sin like crazy on earth because you won't get to do that in heaven. Um, you can dis- develop people, you can disciple people on earth, but you won't have to do that in heaven because everyone's developed, right? Um, you, will, you, you can evangelize here, but you won't be able to do that in heaven because everyone's a Christian, right? Now, there's the fourth that I'm, I know it's biblical, but I, I, I do ask, like, wow, that's, that's a big one. Like, you may be married now, but you won't be married in heaven. Like, you guys know that, right? It's, it's, that's what the Bible says. It's kind of tough. You think, wow. You know, I'm not, Helen and I won't be married. I mean, but the pleasure of God would be so great that it, w- it, would, it would be just a lot better. That, that's kind of how the Bible speaks of it, right? So we have choices. We can sin like crazy, right? Or we can spend the majority of the time doing the things that we can do here that we can't do in heaven. And, of course, evangelism and discipleship obviously fall in that. And that really got my heart going. And I realized that, that there are people in my life that I'm not spending time with. There are things that I'm doing that in light of eternity I could be doing to spend the rest of my life rather than thinking, oh, I got all kinds of time. And what that led me to was just a, a, a more fervent um, maybe devotion to how worship works. Maybe a fervent devotion to like maybe this whole thing about like, like when we peer into heaven, the, you know, Revelations 4 and 5, it talks about the, the angels of God are literally like, like saying every moment, every moment of the day, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And there was a time in my walk, it's like, that just seems so irrelevant. Like 24-7, that's, that's what the angels do? Like, really? Wow. But there's something about that nowadays is so much more meaningful. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. That even if I spent five minutes of my day just doing that, I wonder if that would change my perspective of my marriage that I'm squabbling over. This business transaction that I'm just so like getting me all so, so panicky and so stressed out because I'm not making the right investments and, and my, my retirement is not where I, want, where I need it to be. <clears throat> when in reality, we're going to spend millions and millions of years with God. We're, that's true. I mean, that's biblical. Like, literally, we're going to be spending so much time with God, the presence of God. It's going to be amazing. 
And we're supposed to bring some of that here. Have, have you ever felt like <clears throat> when life is starting to get stressed out, it's probably because we're more concerned about what we see than what we don't see. And just think about that for a moment. That the times in our lives when we were really walking with God and really doing what God wanted us to do, it's almost as if like we'd pray and we'd close our eyes and we just we would know, wow, that's the main thing. But I'm wondering, I, I mean, I don't live in Orange County. I live in Northern Cal. I mean, in Northern Cal, we just see a lot. I mean, we hear like almost on a weekly basis about the, the, the next startup that's making, I don't know, billions of dollars. I mean, recently, if you, if you saw Facebook, I mean, they're, I think uh, they went from like 35 dollars a share to like 88 and Zuckerberg like his market value is like like 37.7 billion now and these are like commonplace stories up north like the things that you see become more important than things that you can't see and you start to think man maybe I should get a little bit of that how, how can I work my portfolio so I have a little bit of that with all these other people have I mean I don't know what it's like in Orange County I'm thinking like man if I had a house like that if I had these opportunities for my kids, man, then my life would be so good. And I'm just wondering if we focus so much on what we see rather than what we don't see. And perhaps that's the reason there's so much stress. And what if we took our eyes off that a little bit and began to think, well, we're going to spend millions and millions of years with God. And that ought to, like, that ought to inspire something the way we live now. This passage that, that we're going to do tonight it's going to feel like a very unusual passage to, being, to be doing at a retreat. Interestingly enough, after we read it, um, I actually use this for my premarital counseling. It's very interesting. I, I, I feel like the Lord's really led me to this, so I think it's going to be very relevant as we go through this. But, but let's go ahead and read Genesis 1, 26, and really unpack it for tonight and, and see how, you know, how it speaks to us in terms of, of loving God more than we do now over other things. Genesis 1, 26 uh, reads this way. <clears throat> then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Um, this is in the first chapter of Genesis. This is before sin comes into being. So when um, when, when God says, so that they may rule over the fish, it's not one of dominance or arrogance or abuse. It's really rule, like manage, be a leader. Be a leader over, over the fish of the sea and birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals. So this is, this, is, this is devoid of any sin. So this is a good, honest, innocent command to rule, right? It's before Genesis 3. When I was looking at this, I, I thought like, Many of us are probably sitting here. It's like, well, this is, this is the creation story. This is a good story. This, in fact, this may be part of the story that we tell our kids as part of how God created the heavens and the earth. And it should be in there because it is. It's true. But what got me thinking about why this is referred to so often, how creation is so often referred to by Apostle Paul and, and the Psalms, it's almost like, like knowing God is almost like rooted in creation. So it got me thinking, and did a lot of study on this, and I, I began to ask myself, why is this passage here in the way that it's written, and who is Moses referring to as he's telling this reality that God wants to make us in, 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 our, in his image, in our likeness? And just digging a little bit and going through the history a little bit, that what I learned is that the, the, all of Genesis is really kind of a, uh, kind of a, a plan 
for this new nation that's kind of emerging, God's nation, and almost directions to, to give that new nation kind of information about their identity and how they're going to rule the earth and they have a purpose, right? And so imagine this for, for a minute. You know, this group has been enslaved for 400 years, right? They've known nothing but pagan worship, all this other stuff going on, and they've heard vaguely about this God, but when the God delivers them, they all of a sudden begin to think, maybe this God is real. And so Moses is, in a way, training this group and trying to educate them and saying, look, you're this new nation, and one of the things that God wants you to know that you are actually made in his image. And one of the ways that, that, that we live out that imageness of God is to rule. Like the law of context is like, let us make mankind in our image. It's like, well, he doesn't really clarify. What does that mean? John 4 said God doesn't have a body. So we're not talking about physical looking like God. We're not, we don't look like God because that's God's image. No, God doesn't have a body. So what does it mean to, be, to bear the image of God? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. So one of the ways that we bear the image of God, one of the ways that we really worship God is that we rule over creation. Now to us, it's like, all right, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> of course it does. But when this was written, when it was put together, this was not crystal clear. You had people coming out of this pagan worship. Literally the things that they worshipped were things like the God of the Nile, like, like God of Livestock. I mean, there were gods there that, that were creating things that ruled over humanity. I mean, if you've ever seen the Ten Commandments, it's a great story, right? It's a wonderful story. But every one of those plagues that God sent down was designed to dismantle an Egyptian god. So they had 400 years of pagan worship of these things that God had created, that they were ruling over them. And God was saying, look, you're this new nation, you're the people of God, you've got to stop doing that. You need to rule over those things that I've created, even though you're used to having these things rule over you. And this is the key to worship. Now, when I read that in that context, immediately the Lord took me to like marriages and people, my own habits, and I started thinking, man, what are the things that God has created in my life that rules over me? And you know, immediately what I thought of was like, you know, when, when the kids were younger, I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastic now. I love what God's been doing. But, you know, I mean, there were some formative years where it's like, wow, are we ever going to make it as parents? Are we doing a good job? And, and, and it was like when the kids were younger, especially like we would be at Target or, or I didn't have Target back then, like, like, like cashier lines after we'd go grocery shopping, right? And, you know, we'd be good. Everybody, kids would be calm. And then I'd be like trying to pay, pay you know, whatever, whatever we need to pay for. And then... There's a reason why Safeway and all these places have all the candy aisles right by the cashier, especially if you're young kids. Because the kids start grabbing, like, Mom, we want this, and we want this right now. And you're like, oh, no, we got to go. And you start panicking, right? Because you're like, man, can you just be quiet? Can you just be quiet? And most of the time in those days, we just gave in to our kids because we were afraid of what other people thought, and we didn't want to look like bad parents, so we just caved. At that moment, we were not ruling over our kids. No, they were ruling over us. You see what I'm saying? I mean, in a critical moment where I could have just paid the bill and scampered out of there, you're going with us. It's like, no, 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 we don't know what we're doing. We're young parents. Okay, go grab it. And we we just we just pay it. It was like, and it has happened a lot because we were not good parents. We, I mean, they, they say the, the 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 age of like, okay, four and under. If you're under four, I, you're a kid. I mean, you're gonna be a kid. You're gonna go crazy. 
you're just, you're just kidding. But four and above, we just let, you know, we can't, we can't allow this anymore. We got to like, we're parents. They're not the parents. We cannot let kids tell us what to do. We got to tell them what to do. <clears throat> now, you may think that's subtle. You may think that's small. But it really started to grade on our worship because we were not ruling over our kids. But let's, let's pick something even more practical. How many times have you told, has money told you what to do? How many times has money told you, you know, we got to go buy that car right now? How many times has money told you we got to go buy that house? Oh, we got to invest in that stock. How many times has money, a creative thing, told you what to do rather than, no, 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 you're going right to the bank? Oh, no, you're going right to tithing. Oh, no, you're going to pay debt, right? Now, you may think, well, ah, come on, you're not talking about stuff like that. Is that any different? That let us make mankind in our image, in our life, so that they may rule over the money. You know, rule over the kids. Manage them so that the kids don't tell you what to do. You get to manage that. If the, the universal truth is that this is idolatry in action, right? Because these were guys out of Nile, right? Got out of, got out of the livestock. And then Pharaoh at the end, right, when, when death comes, right, because... In those days, to pass on your lineage to your kid was, was huge because Pharaoh was godlike. And for God to basically strike down the firstborn apart from the Israelites, right? He was proclaiming his sovereign power over everything, right? So it really was about idolatry. The principle that comes out of this is rule and protect yourself against idolatry, the, the worship of false gods. And if you really start to think about this in marriage... And in family, it actually does apply. <laughs> it actually does apply. So the principle that I want to look at tonight is this. That, that this is our spiritual act of worship, to bear God's image by ruling. By actually ruling and managing it and making it clear that you get to tell these things what to do. They, don't, they can tell you what to do. That's what idolatry and addiction is. They get to tell you what to do and you do it, right? That's what addiction is. But... Tonight, what we want to get straight is, no, we get to do this. That we bear God's image by ruling over the creatures of the earth. In the ancient world, it was a, pl- it was a world plagued by the worship of false gods who challenged the Lord for Israel's affections and allegiance. Now, does that sound familiar? The things in our life that, that, that challenge us for, for our affections and allegiance. Affections and allegiance to our jobs, to our mates, to things. These gods back then were identified with the sun and the moon and the stars and the animals and rivers and a host of other things. I mean, this is Genesis, right? But all you have to do is is replace that with Facebook. All you have to do is replace that with an amazing family life that we've always wanted. This great car that you want. I mean, just replace it with anything in your life, right? The Lord knows that, and you know it. Israel came out of a world where people worshipped things that God created. In other words, people worshipped created objects rather than the creator. And if you read Genesis or Romans 1 carefully, it's very interesting. The main reason that God gives over people to depravity is is that they worship created things rather than the creator. That's the main reason that God gives people over to depravity when that dynamic is there. To prepare Israel to, to, to be God's nation and to protect them against worship of created things so that these things don't rule over them. Moses portrays God 
as the creator and sustainer of all life. You see where we're getting at? Moses is, is the transmitter. Moses is the vessel. And God is saying, look, this group of people are so used to worshiping other gods and watching the Egyptians do this. I need you to train them and remind them, no, I'm the creator of those things. That if they're going to go anywhere in society, they're really going to make a difference in the world. They need to get this straight. Creation is thus the theological starting point explaining what kind of God was establishing his theocracy and how powerful his word was in doing so. In the beginning of Genesis, we're told, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that he actually breathed life into existence, what did not exist, that his word did that. And that same word that we read on a regular basis in quiet time and in Bible study or we listen to a sermon, that same word of God has that same power. It's supposed to. But maybe because these things are distracting us that maybe that power of his word to really change things and transform things is, is kind of muted a little bit. Might God be wanting to bring us back and say, no, he is the creator. He is the sustainer of life. All these things that he's created, enjoy it, love it, but man, don't worship those things. Let's go back to Genesis 1.22 again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air in the sky or the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I mean, there it is. It's so much more than a, a great bedtime story for our kids, and it is. But it really is a challenge to fight against idolatry. And so, no, we're supposed to rule. Um, early in our marriage, we, uh, Helen and I both learned that we come from different angles of expectations for each other, right? And I remember um, in our first home in, in Timonia, Maryland, um, oh, the Venetian blinds, like, I, like they weren't on the, like, this, is, this is our apartment, our first apartment. Remember the Venetian blinds, how they were broken and they weren't on and you kept asking me, right? Like, can you... Can you, can you fix those? I was like, oh, yeah, I'll get to those. I'll get to those, right? And then, and then um, you know, toilet got stopped up or something like that. And, and, then, and then she's like, oh, hey, hey Dave, can you, can you help me? The, the toilet stopped up. Can you, can you help out with that? Said, oh, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I mean, there were a number of, like, household things that were, were not working. And she wanted really me to, to work on that, right? And little did she know, because we only dated, let's see, we dated a year. And I proposed after six months. But during those times, she never really knew that I'm not a handyman. Like, I don't know how to fix things. The arrangement in my household was that there were four of us, the two older sons. We were like typical Korean, American, Asian families. Like, you go study, and you represent us. You go out there, and, you know, we'll take care of the household stuff. Your third brother and fourth brother, they're going to learn how to do the vacuuming. They're going to do this. They're going to take out the garbage. But you, the two of you, you represent us. Go and study, you know, be, be art, you know, like that's how it worked. So I'm like, I don't know, I'm just taking orders, right? So I start doing my thing and going to hopefully get into good schools and all that, but my, my third and fourth brother, they did all the cooking and cleaning, you know, as a result, they're like totally like Renaissance people for their wives, they have all these great hobbies, cool hobbies that I don't have, you know? So I never really learned to be a handyman. They were the handyman in the family, so I walk into marriage like secretly hoping, oh, help out. I hope Helen doesn't see this because I am not a handyman. I can do other things, but I can't do this. Right? So, like, months are going by. She's thinking, wait a minute. Dave's saying he's going to get to it, and he's not getting to it. All right, what's going on here? And then I start hearing stuff like, I don't, I don't, I don't know why you can't change the Venetian blinds. 
I can't, I don't know why you can't unplug the toilet. I don't know what's, what's going on. My dad could do this. So now it starts to get a little, I feel it starts to get a little personal. I go, dang. Right? Now, at that time, I was learning the Bible a lot, and, and Gibbons was trying to teach us in the Bible, because Gibbons was in, in, at Maryland, he was our pastor, right? So we were really getting in the Bible, right? And one of the principles that I was learning was that leave and cleave, meaning that this is why a man leaves his parents and cleaves with his wife, right? In other words, this is a real important principle, okay? The, the, the husband-wife relationship is actually has a higher priority than the parent-child relationship, Right? That, that's what it says, right? So I, I use that a lot in, in these premarital counseling sessions. Where like, I get all these people that want to get married, right? And they go, oh, that first year that we want to save the money. We're going to live with our parents. And we're going to save all this money, right? Oh, my goodness, disaster. Because, you know, your leadership doesn't get developed in that first year because you don't know who's in charge. Is it your parents? Anyway, that principle is there for a reason, right? So I start evoking that principle of like, hey, you know, it's us now. You know, don't, you, don't bring your father into this. It's us. You know, like, I feel like you haven't, like, I'd, I'd accuse her. Hey, I feel like you haven't left your dad. Like, we're, you know, we're here. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm not a good handyman, but this principle says, you know, husband and wife is more important than parent child. Hey, we've got to break that umbil- umbilical cord. You know, come on. So I pressed on that to get my way. Well, I mean, the marriage progresses, doesn't stop. And then, you know, um, you know, she's, Helen's cooked for me, but... You know, there are times that, you know, I, I, I try to eat what she puts on, and she's phenomenal, right? But there's certain casseroles that she cooks. It just so happens that my mother just cooks those better, right? <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? It, it, like, there's certain casseroles, and I just, got, I just got tired of hearing how I wasn't like dad, her, her father. And I'm like, well, I mean, she, she says, well, what do you think of this? I said, it's good. It's not as good as the way my mom made it. And it just, I mean, all, I mean, it, it just like, it, things erupted. It's like, what are you talking about? You know, if you want to go back to your mother, go. I mean, it was just terrible, right? It was terrible, right? I mean, it was just going back and forth. And it's like, man, I haven't left either. <laughs> Neither one of us left. But for that moment when Helen was bringing up my father and I was bringing up my mother, what was happening? These things were ruling. I wanted to play that trump card. I wanted Helen to know, but you know, all right, so I may not be the handyman that you want me to be, but you know what? My mother cooks a pretty good, you know, what, a kimchi chigay, whatever, those Korean things, right? So we were at a gridlock. And you may think, oh, come on, it's just food. Like, get over it. No, it was a big deal. I broke a biblical principle. I let this thing with my mother rule over, like, I started making comparisons. Have you ever done that in your marriage? Well, that's good. But you know, my dad or my mom, and all of a sudden, these things that are not supposed to rule begin to rule. That's just one example. I'm thinking a normal human being has several, and you probably have three right now that you're thinking about. That's so innocuous. Oh, it's so harmless. I don't have to worry about that. No. I'm not saying you worry about it. I say we deal with it. I say we deal with it and figure out what are those things right now that God has created that rules over you, you've actually permitted these things to rule over you. What would they be? Maybe a good question to ask ourselves to help ourselves out is, how do we know if something is ruling over us, right? Don't you think that's a good practical question? All right, how do we know? I I think, one, they tell us what to do, right? 
I was letting that little dynamic tell me what to do to kind of get my way with Helen. Like, all right, well, I'm not the handyman, but, but man, you're not, you're not this. Like, it just kept going back and forth. So what is it today that as you look at the landscape of your heart, that as you think about your life, that you say, man, I'm letting this thing tell me what to do and what to be. Maybe our value, our worth is often determined by it, right? How your kids turn out and how they compare when you, you know, get to these Thanksgiving gatherings with all the aunts and uncles and people talking about where people are going to school and what they've done. It's like, man, I want my kid to look good. Even though your kid's like, look, I, it terrifies me when I go to this gathering. You're always showing me off. I'm like this trophy piece, but I, I don't always feel that love at home. But you just want to show me off. You see what I'm saying? These things, as they rule over us, it's, it's going to affect our hearts. And the devotion and the worship that we're supposed to have for God begins to dissipate. It starts to seep, and it starts to get smaller and lighter, and it's just not as serious. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's all about, man, my kid is going to win the Olympics, and, and that's it. My kid's going to win a medal. My kid's going to get a perfect score in his SCTs. My kid's going to go to the best school. And all of a sudden, it's like, dude, like, where's all that coming from? They make demands on us, Right? They make demands on us. This is the way that false worship works. This is the way that idolatry works. When we don't, mat- we don't measure up to these things, there's guilt. I got to tell you, in those early years, I felt, I felt like a horrible dad. I really did. I mean, I, I basically, in those early years, I put seminary ahead of family. I did. Looking back, I know I did. I mean, I got up earlier when the kids were sleeping. This is when I was at Talbot, and I got home, the kids were sleeping. I mean, it was miserable. I was at New Song. I think we're doing, like, this is, this is the odd thing. You could be doing phenomenal public ministry and having horrible family lives. You can. I was, like, I wanted to get A's. I wanted to get A's at Talbot. I was like, I'm going to graduate with honors. There's no cover. I'm just going to do this, right? And I was too immature to realize that at the cost that that was coming. That I didn't feel like if I did exactly what God wanted me to do, that I would get A's because I'd be like, B. I said, no, I'm not going to get any B's. I was like, I'm going to do this, right? And I let this thing rule over me. You know, there's a reason why, like, seminary is often referred to a cemetery. Because it's a, it's a dark place, man. I mean, there are divorces that happen in cemetery, uh, cemetery seminary. <laughs> They have, I'm serious. I mean, I, I, I did five years part-time, and I loved what I did. But man, it was hard, not because of the grades. It was hard because of how it affected my family. And when I didn't measure up to that God of good, good grades and being this good pastor, I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. I was falling short all the time. What would be that for you? Parental expectations, even now? I mean, maybe your parents' expectation of the way they brought you up was this, and you're kind of constantly hovering here, and all your siblings are up here, and you're, and you're being compared all the time, right? I mean, I don't know what that is for you, right? But what is it that's ruling over you? A false sense of security, perhaps? Right? Believe me, in Northern Cal, money is God. Money is God. It is. Don't let anybody for It is. Like, like stocks, all that stuff. I mean... A 1,500-square-foot home easily in, in, in my area goes for like a million five. Easily. Easily. Not even question. Like in Sunnyvale and Palo Alto, Low South. I mean, you get, I mean, have you guys ever heard of Atherton? It's like the wealthiest zip code in America, right? I mean, these, these are where 49ers live and all these, you know, whatever. I mean, it just is. And everyone looks at that as like, man, you know, how do I get a piece of that? It's a false sense of security. 
All right, so now let, let's get to the, like, how do we rule over creative things in a way that retains our worship of God? This is where we want to be, right? If we're honest and we really say, man, we're Christ followers, man, we want to do something about this. I don't want to let this, I don't want to keep going. I don't want to keep living as if like getting the next greatest promotion or getting a little expansion on the house is like the biggest dream of my life in the next five years. If that's the biggest dream and project you have in the next five years, man, I I want to challenge you today and say, man, think about what God may be saying in your heart right now. To be a Christ follower, uh, to, be, to be able to say even for 10 minutes a day, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I mean, if that was an aspiration of your heart, for 10 minutes a day, just to praise God for the next five years, man, that's a worthy ambition. Worthy ambition. Well, how do we get going on that? I, I think we go back to Genesis 126. I think what, what Moses was trying to communicate to the Israelites was this, look, that God that delivered you from Egypt, right? That God that created the Nile, that created the livestock, all these things, that's, that's the God that is with you now. He really is the God that is, he is the creator of all things. That's right. Let's begin with that. Let's acknowledge that that's where it begins. If that's the case, there needs to be some confession, right? So, so, you can't have multiple gods, right? You can't serve two men. It's like, it's, like, it's like being married to, well, it's been married to one person, but then you have like two other people that you treat them as if you're spouses. That's, it's, can you really do that? Now, how would you feel about it? You tell me as a married person, right? You're married legally, but all of a sudden you see your spouse hanging out with these other people, almost having more fun with them than with you. How would you feel about that? I think that's how God feels, Right? I mean, if there are multiple gods out there that you're kind of worshiping and investing in and, and more finances and more time is going there, how do you think God is seeing that? I think there needs to be confession. This admitting that what he already knows, God, I, I've been worshiping affluence. I've been worshiping notoriety. I've been worshiping approval, God. I, what people think of me is so more important than what you think of me. And this is why I do these things and I want to look good in front of you. I've been worshiping this. And just an honest confession of it, right? And then turning, and, and then turning. And so I'm going I'm to turn from this. I'm going to turn from this. Um, I love this word. I used to hate this word. I think I grew up with very little boundaries. You know, I really think that like, my parents just kind of let me go. And I just, I just feel like this is such a good thing. Like, like I, I've seen boundaries save marriages, I've seen boundaries save friendships. And, and really, I, I was the kind of guy that really did need to get married. And I needed to get married to someone like Helen. I really did, because she's amazing at boundaries. I mean, sometimes it's like, man, you know, like, I want more freedom. Like, can I wiggle some more? It's like, you know, and, 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 and she really is very intuitive about it. Like, one of the early things, uh, early in our uh, in, in GRX's ministry, one of the things that we agreed as a married couple is, like, if a new movie came out, Right? We would always see it first. Like, it was a really good movie. Like, we would always like, hey, let's make a priority to see that movie first so, so that you know, it kind of retains the specialness of our marriage. It's kind of you know, mutual. And I really try to honor that. You know? like, I, I just, it's like, man, what a great idea. You remember that, honey? That we, we would agree on doing that. And then, <laughs> and then that, that was like a really good boundary for us. But this is the, the wicked side. It was like, oh, man, Spider-Man 1 is out. Oh, it's, like, it's, like, it's really good. Right? And this is back north. Up north, and, and, and you know, I had a staff, a multi-staff, and I just felt like 
man, I bet there'd be so many great illustrations we can pull out of that movie because it's got the superhero thing, evil. I mean, like, I kept thinking, how can I watch that movie and not let Helen know? I mean, that's what I was thinking. Wicked, <laughs> wicked, really wicked. So I'm going, if I just do this once, no, who will know? Nobody will know. <laughs> right? And uh, so the wicked self acts it out, and I grab my five other staff, and we go watch Spider-Man 1. And sure enough, it did not disappoint. I mean, it was really good. <laughs> I, had, I probably had three sermons worth of illustration. You know, some of my best illustrations came out of that movie, right? And I just thought, oh, what do I do with all these tickets? I got to, like, hide it, right? Because I had, I had tickets, you know, my staff, and I, so we just hid it in the garbage can in my office, right? I don't know, maybe, like, three days later. This is, all right, so this is 2002, 2003, so Daniel would have been, uh, I don't know, you would have been, like, five or six or something like that. And I remember when Helen came over with, with, with the kids and kind of came, stopped by and, and just wanted to have lunch with them. Oh, man, this is great. You know, I love my wife. I love my family. And then, you know, Daniel's kind of like walking around the office. And I don't know what he was doing in the garbage. Right? And he just like pulls out the ticket stuff. He goes, Dad, what's this? I go, son, it's nothing. And I, just, I throw it back. I go, no, what's this, Dad? I was like, nothing. <laughs> now I go, you want to see Spider-Man without me? I mean, we just had a very interesting conversation. I think it was like Lord's like redemptive rest, justice, justice in action. It's like, hey, you made this commitment to watch these movies together, and you didn't, man. So I had to like fess up. I had to come clean, right? But we seriously have good boundaries overall. Like, I could, I could have as many meetings all day long, but we eat at 6 no matter what. I mean, I could be meeting with like, you know, I don't know, prince of whatever from some country, but if it's like five, five. 45, I'm, I'm in the car driving home because we have dinner at 6 no matter what. And that's something that, that Helen, right, this is, this is something we agreed. No, we, nothing else is more important other than worship of God, family. And so whatever I'm doing, I'm home. You know, I'm driving home at 5.45. Um, do you guys, uh, there's a professor at, um, um, at Talbot. He was, he was one of our professors. His name is Gil Stiglitz. And uh, his father committed adultery. And his grandfather committed adultery, and his great-great-grandfather committed adultery, right? So he knew that he has that disposition, right? So he told his future wife that, right? He said, look, I, if we end up getting married, I want you to know this is my disposition. You need to know this. But I have these boundaries. I have, I've set up these barricades, right? So when they were dating, he told one of his best friends. He said, look, I have this disposition. My father committed adultery, and my, my, my grandfather committed adultery, and my great-great-grandfather committed adultery. And you need to know that I have that in me, right? But I've set up these barricades. I've told my fr- best friend that if, if he ever sees the two of us together in, the ro- in a room alone, to not to leave the room, to all, in fact, even to sit between us for anything so that, that nothing fishy goes on, right? He said, look, I need you to, know, I need you to do that for me because these boundaries are going to protect me so that I marry well, right? Because when I get married, then we have different boundaries of this one. You know, I just want you to know, I have this disposition of adultery. And the friend was like more than happy to oblige, right? He goes, man, I'll do that for you, man. You're, you're, you're my best friend, right? So they're like, you know, a year into their relationship and, and they're engaged and they're close to getting married. And then there was like a particular night where, you know, she, uh, he and his fiance and, and their best friend, were, they're, they're like watching a movie together according to plan, right? Because he's trying to be a good boundary. But it's like 9, 9.30. And Gil says to his friend, he said, you know, I, I forget his name, Joe, Tom. Hey, it's, it's getting late, man. Go ahead. And, you know, just feel free to go home, right? I got it from here. And his friend's like, oh, that's pretty good, Gil. I mean, you know, yeah, but I'm going to stay. You know, I'm going to stay. Goes, no, 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 really. We're engaged, bro. We're going to get married soon. You need to leave. 
He goes, he goes no, no, no. Remember, we, we agreed a year ago that we'd have this boundary that you would never be in the same room with your fiance. So I'm going to stake, right? And the girl's like, you don't understand, bro, that I'm going to get married and you got to leave. He goes, ha, ha. And he goes, ha, ha, ha. Kill, that's what you said you would say a year ago, that if you ever did that, that I should just stay. I should just really stay. That's so funny that you said what you just said is exactly what you said a year ago. So I'm just going to stay, right? It was amazing. And he stayed. And so Gil was forced to leave. But think about that for a moment. What is the disposition that you have when you go shopping? Right? People, like in our household, we have shopping day and we have buying day. Like when we say shopping, it's really shopping. It's like, look, it's just looking. The kids are like, is it, Dad, is it looking day or buying day? Today's looking day. Oh, okay. They don't get their hopes up, right? Well, for you, for, for you, like when you, when you say it's looking day, shopping day, there's a boundary there. It's like, ah, she doesn't mean it. Oh, he doesn't mean it. And you start buying all this stuff. You don't get, where's the boundaries? No boundaries. That's a great way to protect yourself against some of the idols. I'm telling you, you know, get some boundaries in your life. Um, accountability, kind of Gil's example, I think is a, is a really good example. And then finally, I think just a, an intentional life of worship. Really, it's about that. It's more about worship than just good choices. Like once you get the worship straight, all these other things just kind of fall into place. So I want to encourage us, right? Really want to encourage us as we kind of come to a close here, begin to think about what are those things right now that are ruling over us that you need to set barricades. Now for Gil Sickles, he had like three barricades prior to the one where he knew he could commit sin. All right? So you know yourself better than anybody, right? What are the barricades? What are the things that you need to tell your friends about your disposition until you get better. At first, at first, it's mechanical. But once you get good at it, it's like, oh, man, I killed that idolatry. I don't have to worry about that. There's other things, but it's just not that one, okay? So, so, so but Paul, how do we go into the discussion section? Do we just go right into it with a group? Just close. All right, let me close, and then, and then Paul's going to take it from here, okay? Um, Heavenly Father, as we start off this entire retreat, mindful of this injunction that we are made in your image and that the, one of the ways that we live that out is by ruling, ruling over the things that you have created and how important that is that even little things like, like children, I mean, their future and our homes, all these things that you have created somehow seep into our spirituality and we begin to worship these things at the same level as even you. And so show us how, as we start this retreat, uh, rumble in our hearts, stir our hearts, put, uh, groom our hearts to, to be receptive to change, receptive to hearing. What are those things that potentially are ruling over us, over us that kind of rivals our allegiance and our worship of you today? And show us what those things are. In Jesus' name, amen.